Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast for Salem Heights Church. We meet weekly at 9 and 11 a.m. For more information, visit SalemHeightsChurch.org. Well, good morning, folks. You glad to be here this morning? Yeah? We have, uh, yeah, me too. We have a little different run for you this morning. Um, A couple of different reasons for that, but the bottom line is we're going to change some stuff on you, okay? We're still going to have worship. We're still going to have everything that we would normally have in a Sunday morning, but in order to get Lee to the airport on time, second service, we're going to start with preaching now that your hearts are all warmed and ready. Are you ready for that? Uh, We still want you to be able to engage, and we want you to be able to let go of things that are going on around you, so we're going to start with prayer. But uh, this is the thing that uh, struck me this morning. We, uh, this last couple of days, have been talking about marriage, and for many of you, we were able to address some of the concerns maybe that uh, were going on in your home or in the world around you or in some friends' lives, and Uh, We're reminded that the Word of God holds the answers, that uh, the Son of God paid for all of our sins, and the Spirit of God wants to help you get right. We're able to do that. And so uh, we got those fears set aside, and then we wake up this morning to our typical doom scrolling and are worried about what's going on in the world, right? And so you might have came in here with a new set of problems. We put one away. We tend to pick them up. We're Americans, right? We can shop. We have all the problems we want, and uh, we've got concerns on the world scene. We've got concerns in our own lives. I just want to pray that we'll be able to set those aside. Normally, we take time in our worship time to just allow the Lord to wash those away, but I want you to be aware uh, there is a concern on the world scene in Ukraine. We actually have family here, Salem Heights family, who has family there. We need to be praying for them. People who are here who have believing friends and family that are still trying to fight their way out or get to safety, uh, or they can't. They just have to hunker down and wait and see what happens. We didn't wake up with that here. We didn't have those concerns. Um, We also have uh, the most excellent way, as you know, that's housed here, but uh, in the early 2000s, four different groups uh, were started there in the most excellent way, and some of them were so successful they started churches. So we have other believers that are associated with our church that are there struggling right now. And uh, they don't have the kind of freedoms or the kind of ability that we do to be able to face today. So we're going to pray for them, but also pray that the Lord would soften our hearts. Sometimes what's going on around us gets so intense that we forget that we actually have a resource. I want to remind you of something that it says in Revelation 22. And it uses an emphatic statement. Jesus says, look. Now, uh, when we say that in our language, that's because we're squaring somebody up, right? We're grabbing them by the shoulder and we're saying, listen to me. Look, I am coming soon. And my reward is with me to repay each person according to his work. I'm the Alpha and Omega. That means I'm the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Christ is looking at this and he is saying, it didn't knock me out of control. I haven't lost my grip on eternity or on tomorrow or on this moment. So we're going to yield to him right now as we get ready to listen to the word. Okay, let's pray. 
Father, we thank you for the opportunity that we have to be able this morning to yield our hearts to you. Father, sometimes the best worship that we can give is not even with our voices. The best worship we can give is to soften our hearts and to receive the word, to listen to what it is that you actually have for us. Father, we can sing, we can get charged up, uh, we can shout in allegiance with people around us and walk right out the door and not change. I pray right now that you would first help us to sense a peace that passes understanding. As we give you our concerns, all the things that maybe flooded our mind as we came uh, just even to awareness this morning, we wake up and we look at what's going on in the world and we're flooded with concerns that we really have no impact on. You are in control. So we give those to you, and we ask, Father, that you would help us uh, to join brothers and sisters in Christ in prayer. May your best happen. Father, may you provide peace for those that are in affliction, that you provide safety for them, that you provide uh, direction, help, mercy. Father, but also help us in our awareness not to run to our, our, our just um, immediate need to control Father, we have no control. We give that entirely to you. We recognize that you are the only one who helps and saves. So help us now to hear your word and to yield to it. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, I want you guys to welcome up here uh, Lee. Lee's here right now. Let's... uh... And uh, one of the gifts we had this last couple of days, we got not only to hear from Lee, and uh, he's especially gifted to uh, talk about marriage, but also I-, I believe that our team felt that they gained a friend. And so we're so thankful for you. The way that you broke down the word, the practical insights that you gave us for our marriages, so helpful. So preach. All right. Thankful for you. Well, I gained some friends too, I'll say that. First time in Oregon, and I got a lot of friends in Oregon now, so... Um, it's good to be um, with you all, and um, so if you have your Bible, turn into Ephesians chapter 5. This is a culmination of, of the marriage conference. This message is going to like build off of everything we talked about at the conference. If you missed the conference, um, I'm, I think they're going to make it available online. It's my guess. If not, I, I, I saw at least one person recording it on their phone, so there's a bootleg copy around here somewhere. I'm sure you can find it um, at some point, um, but... Uh, it, it was a great time. Like I, oftentimes, like I'll come in and, and, and you'll see I preach with one speed, okay? And so I'm usually pretty tired after an event like this, but I, I just feel mutually edified um, from this body of believers here um, in, in Salem, in this part of the world where the ground is quite hard here. And I think you know what I mean if you're a, a Christ follower. Um, and yet people want the truth. And there's only one who is the truth, and that's Jesus. And so this message is going to focus on the gospel of Christ and the person and work of Jesus. Before I get into God's word, let me pray. Um, Pray for me and pray for our hearts, um, and then we will begin to look at Ephesians. Father God, we just uh, bless you. We bless you, and we um, thank you, Father, that you um, have this amazing grace and amazing love for us rebels and that you have sent your son and, and made a way for us to be made right, to be purified, to be cleansed through Christ's death. 
through his resurrection, we have this great hope of, of being reconciled with you, that we have been united with you, and that you will finish the work that you've started in us through Christ Jesus. And so we have all reason for hope. So Lord, we present our hearts to you, and we ask that you would move in the deep places of our soul, that you would use your word which is alive and active. You would use your word to penetrate our hearts and to bring change, to conform us more into the image of Jesus Christ. And and if there's those here who do not know Jesus as their Savior, that you would bring salvation into those souls. So Holy Spirit, please move freely in this place. Move freely in our hearts. In the areas of hardness, that you would soften those areas uh, where there's correction needed. Bring correction where there's encouragement or comfort needed. Holy Spirit, bring encouragement and bring comfort as we fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. So, Father, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of our heart be pleasing to you. We ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Well, thank, thank you for letting me foul up your flow a bit. Um, I, uh, I needed to get back to Dallas. I live in Austin, but I needed to get back to Dallas because of a, um, a, a, an opportunity that I have tomorrow to work with a church um, there in the Dallas area. And, and the, the latest flight I could find was two. So uh, hopefully I'll get there. Hopefully I'll make it all the way to the airport safely. So a couple things about marriage before we get into these verses. Our culture's um, view on marriage is quite distorted, and it's distorted for a variety of reasons, but one of the main reasons that our culture's view of marriage is so distorted is because it's strictly horizontal. It's focused on the horizontal. That'll make more sense in a second um, when I reference something Jesus said in Matthew 22. But, but some of the things that keep a person focused on the horizontal nature of relationships, even more so marriage, are things like compatibility focus or chemistry focus or uh, a needs-based approach. Like the, the famous saying of Jerry Maguire, you complete me. Like, there's a lot of people that believe that. That God created us with some type of vacuum that only one other human in the universe can satisfy. Well, you know who that human is? His name's Jesus. It's not some woman. It's not some dude. And that yet, that's kind of permeated how we so often view marriage. And even in the church, there's distortions in understanding of how God's intended um, invention and creation of marriage is intended to be. That that we'll often have this overly pragmatic approach to marriage, even in the church. Ten steps to a better marriage. And then we pull out some of the very verses that we're going to unpack. And it'll just be as simple as like, husbands do this, wives do this. But there's no gospel motivation And thrust as to why God's called the husband to do this. And why God's called the wife to do this. That's the scriptures so clearly speak to. Or there's just misunderstanding of the roles in marriage in general. That oftentimes you'll see even believers have a law-based approach to marriage. That they they know what the scriptures say about marriage. And so they approach it like kind of like the Ten Commandments. Well, I'll do all of these things and then God will be pleased with me. Well, the problem with that is that's unbiblical thinking. That there's no righteousness that I can bring to the table to commend myself before a holy God. It's Christ's righteousness alone. And when you take Christ's righteousness, which is the beauties of the gospel, and you bring that into your motivation, you move away from the law, because Christ came to fulfill the law, and now your motives and your desires are changed. There's now this gospel energy behind why you do what you do for and towards your spouse. So seeing marriage oftentimes People see marriage as a right rather than as a privilege. Paul's going to frame up the privilege of marriage to help us really see the gospel motivation of marriage. 
So you can think of, there's an example I heard Tim Keller tell one time that I think really articulates well just some of the massive misunderstandings that contribute so often to people's view of marriage. So think of, think of uh, marriage and the misunderstandings of marriage like kind of like a, like a consumer vendor, right? So like, um, I, so you guys have Safeway here, right? I grew up on Safeway. They don't have them anywhere where I grew up anymore. So I saw Safeway as like, oh, they got Safeway here. So, so you go to Safeway, let's just say, and you do your shopping um, at Safeway. You get your produce there, so your vegetables and your fruits. And, 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 and part of the reason you go there is because they have a decent product, hopefully. Hopefully you're not buying rotten bananas, right? And, and if you are, hopefully they were free. Like, no, you, you go there because the produce is decent. The, the cost of the produce is f- fair. But, but let's just say all of a sudden the produce isn't that great and the costs go up. Guess where you're going to shop? Not Safeway anymore. You're going to find another vendor to buy the produce. So often people approach marriage like that. They see it as a contract. So contracts like, okay, I'm going to invest here. You better return here. That is not a biblical view of marriage. Like the, the, the biblical understanding of marriage is birthed in covenant, not contract. Like think, think the heavens, think the Lord that our relationship with God is in a vendor-consumer relationship. Because he's for sure getting the short end of that stick. And he would shop elsewhere quickly because we bring nothing to the table but brokenness. He's not committed to us like that. He's committed to us through covenant. So um, in Matthew 22, and you don't have to turn there, but I'm going to read this for you because um, I'm not going to re-preach session one from this weekend, but what Jesus says here absolutely informs how we see all horizontal relationships, marriage especially. Matthew 22, verse 34 through 40 says this, but when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. He said, teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. That's the vertical relationship. Like if if you've ever wondered why God created you and your purpose that God created you for, it's right there. God created us to love him with everything, to worship him with everything, to, to commune with him, to fellowship him, to give him our all in all as the scriptures would say. And in fact, what Jesus is saying is that our hearts, our souls were created with the capacity for one vertical relationship. That's it. One. And you know who's on the other end of that? The creator and lover of your soul, God the Father. That's it. And, and so what Jesus is saying, he's saying love God with everything. And, and when that's, Now, in Genesis 1 and 2, Adam and Eve just freely walked in that perfect vertical relationship. Anything they they interacted with in creation, with each other, with the creation, never drew their affections away from the Father. It just stirred them more for Him. So imagine eating a peach in the garden before their sin. You you grab this peach and you taste the peach and it just tastes fabulous and the nectar's dripping down your chin. But at no point did they worship the peach. They worship the one who made the peach. And, that, that, and we don't know that. We don't know nothing about that now. We worship the peach now. And, and, and you, know, you know, I'm just using it as an illustration. Like we, we get so drawn in and enamored by horizontal created things that instead of honoring the creator, we want the created thing. One, Romans 1 talks about this. Relationships are no different. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. That's the vertical. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as you love yourself. See the horizontal? 
And, and the point, the big point I made in the first session from the marriage conference was um, that no one ever comes to my counseling practice historically and says, hey, my main goal is to love Jesus more. Now, they may think that. You know what they say? I hate my husband. I have marriage problems. I have addiction problems. We have communication problems. Those are all horizontal. And if you reverse engineer what Jesus is saying, this is what we talked about. If, if you reverse engineer what Jesus is saying, if something's fractured the vertical, and it, and it is fractured because of sin. If something's fractured the vertical, guess what is, is most affected? The horizontal. In other words, we don't have a shot horizontally if the vertical's off. Because I'll either love me more than I should, that's called pride in the Bible, or I'll use relationships as a means to an end, that's human extortion. I'll misuse his design. I'll misuse his creation all for my gain because my vertical heart is off. And this is where the gospel is so sweet. Through Christ Jesus, who lived the life that we couldn't, perfect, who died the death we deserved, his righteousness is imputed onto us um, by faith, through faith in Christ, by grace alone, through faith alone, and we are reconciled to God and our vertical hearts are reestablished with him. Which now means, as the gospel deepens us, because the gospel doesn't just save us, it also sanctifies it, sanctifies us. Like as the gospel deepens our souls and strengthens um, us as our identity in Christ is growing, which is secured through Christ, it has to have implications for how I see people. Because now I no longer live for myself, I live for Christ and his kingdom. Which means my wife is not a means to an end. She's one I get to serve and give my life to. You know why? Because Jesus did for me. See the gospel motivation? See how the gospel has to inform how we interact with the horizontal. And that's everything that Jesus just tees up for us in Matthew 22 is the heart from which Paul comes from in Ephesians 5. So Ephesians 5, verse 22. Ephesians 5, 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but rather nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church." Because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Let's unpack this. So the first two verses are... are are really speaking to the wife, but you see a mutual submission in here. And, and, and submission is not a popular word in our culture. 
But here's what I would contend. Submission has never been popular to the flesh because I don't want to bow to no one. I fight for me most of the time in my flesh. Submission is not a concept that, that, that is familiar to our natural flesh. Like it is foreign to us because we're steeped and steered towards sinful living, towards control, towards building our own kingdoms. And by God's grace, he's interrupted that broken path and redeemed our hearts through Christ so we no longer live for ourselves, we live for his kingdom, which requires the only thing that we're called to when it comes to salvation is to submit our hearts, our life, and allegiance to Jesus Christ. Jesus did all the work. He did the dying. He did the perfect living. He did the resurrection from the grave. We're just called to submit. And that, that first submission in that moment as difficult as it may seem, opens up for us the expanse of glory in heaven because we're redeemed to the Father. So this idea of submission is actually a beautiful idea. And in fact, what I would contend, it's actually built into our society. Anybody ever gone to their boss and said, yeah, I don't feel like doing my job. I know you gave me the job description, but I don't feel like doing my job. I bet you don't work there anymore. You know why? Won't submit. Submission like, is actually a beautiful thing because it flies in the face of our arrogance and our pride. And, and, and when the wife is called into submission, she's, she's being called into what Christ did perfectly by submitting to the will of the Father. The scriptures say that Christ submitted to the will of the Father to the point of death, even death on a cross. You think Jesus was super pumped to go to the cross? The Garden of Gethsemane would say no. That he pleaded with the Lord, if there's any other way, would you allow this cup to pass from me, O Father? But not my will, but your will. Christ submits to the will of the Father and we are redeemed because of his obedience. That this picture of submission is beautiful because it points to the gospel. It points to Christ's submission. Now listen, women, um, if, if, if you're married to a husband who's trying to lead you actively into sin, Paul would not say, yeah, submit to that sin. That's not what the Lord would have you do. But if your husband struggles, if he's maybe not leading to the ability that he should or could, or maybe he's in a difficult season where he's struggling with passivity, or he's maybe stuck in something, your role is to submit to his leadership and recognize his leadership, and you plead and pray for him that he would grow in Christ's likeness and work through those struggles, and that God would meet him in his need as you wait on the Lord. It doesn't mean you're less than him. It's a great honor. And then you see the husbands, look at verse 25. And he spends the most time talking to the husbands. And I think there's a reason for that. Um, I think our culture, I think our culture is just brutalized by men who do not have an understanding of what it means to humble themselves to the Lord. And so as a result, you've got men who are checked out of their calling all over the place. All over the place. The, 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 the fatherlessness rate and the implications of that. And, and that's another sermon. I can't go into that. But I think there's a reason that Paul spends so much time pleading with the men and giving them instruction. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor 
without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. So this is the picture of Christ's sacrificial love. Like, like this isn't like, hey, husbands, love your wives more. Like this is a gospel picture that's informing the striving nature of how the husband's supposed to pursue and love and grow in his love and pursuit of his wife. And it's looking towards Christ's sacrificial nature. This is actually the foundation of God's intended design for marriage. Marriage is not about your happiness or your wholeness. It's about pointing us, our hearts, and pointing to the world, maybe one of the greatest physical images that scream to the gospel of Jesus Christ. God's given all these images in creation that at one point creation will be without excuse. Creation will be without excuse because God made it plain to everyone that he was the king of the universe. Some will choose not to acknowledge that. Marriage might be one of the greatest shadows of the gospel that God's given us. And that Christ is the sacrificial love is the foundation of that intended design. It's seen in Christ's love for sinners. In fact, one of the big themes in the book of Ephesians is God's love for sinners, is Christ's love for sinners. It also serves as the clear illustration for husbands in loving their wives. Um, a second aspect of the glory of Christ on display is as husbands loving their wives as they love themselves. Look at this in verse 28. This actually is very similar to what Jesus said in Matthew 22 when he's talking about the horizontal. Love God with everything and then love your neighbor as you love yourself. There's oftentimes misunderstanding about what Jesus is saying and what Paul is saying here. Let me show you. Verse 28. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. So this picture of loving their wives as they love themselves is not asserting greater self-love. In fact, I would contend one of our biggest problems in the flesh is we love us too much. I love me some me. And you do too. That that when push comes to shove and I'm in a fleshful place, I am all about me. So in essence, what Paul is saying is like you take care of you Love her that way. It's exactly what Jesus is saying. You, you care for you, love others that way. So it's not asserting self-love. This love and care of self, it's actually natural. It's assumed. Um, very, very rarely in counseling have I counseled somebody who I would say has legitimate self-hate. I rarely see that. Rarely. It's there. And there's usually a ton of brokenness before that leads to that place of self-hate, both by things that they've done and things that have been done to them. But by and large, self-love is assumed because we go to great lengths to care for ourselves. So here's the picture that this love, it's, it, it isn't to be seen as a duty, but it's something natural to the husband's nature. So as the husband looks to Christ, his love for others, most importantly his wife, is as natural as his love and care for his own body. So here's what was really natural for me this morning. Like I got up at 5.30 and I went in and I brushed my teeth. I went in and got clean because, man, the older I get, it takes a bit more time to get some things ironed out. I think you know what I mean. Just like, man, I look like death when I look in the morning I'm like oh my gosh let's let's get a shower let's do some shaving let's get the hair fixed like I I don't have to like write myself a note by my alarm clock hey Lee remember to take care of yourself remember to brush your teeth bro 
Have a great day. Remember to take a good shower and really get all cleaned up. I just do it. Because I've been doing that for so long. And then I went down to the breakfast buffet. And, and man, just, I didn't want to eat too much because I don't like preaching on a full stomach. So I was like, better go easy. But man, they had the spread out today. And there was a couple things I'm like, yeah, I don't really like that. Love, love that. You, you know what I ate? I ate the things I liked. I, I didn't eat the bean sprouts. Like who eats bean sprouts at seven in the morning? Like we're not doing that. I mean, even in Austin, they try to pull that stuff off. I'm like, no, give me some brisket. Give me some beef, right? I mean, I'm Texan through and through. No, this, it just comes quite natural. And that is the gospel works its way deeper into my heart. That the nature of Christ's love for me, like there's just these sweet moments as a Christ follower where you fall in love with Jesus all over again. You have those moments? Man, every time one of my kids has been born, like in that delivery room, I'm just blown away. Because, I mean, I, I love my wife, but, but I grew in love with her and she grew in love with me. But when my kids were born, oh my goodness, I've never loved something so much so quickly. I loved the idea of them, but then I met them. And every time in that moment, my heart rolled up to the Father's love for me. It's like I fell in love with Jesus all over again. You ever had those moments that you realize his love and how deep it is for you? Like that's the gospel informing now how I love others. Other image bearers. Other image bearers, especially your wife and, and, and wives, your husband. These roles in marriage, even though they're, they're directed towards the husband in some ways and they're directed toward the wife in other ways, it's not that the wife doesn't have to nourish and cherish her husband. The husband has a special call in his life to do so. It's not that the wife isn't called to love her husband. It's just that the husband has a specific emphasis from the Lord to do so. These things are shared together. And then look at nourish and cherish. Verse 29. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. This picture of nourishing and cherishing, it, it's the picture of taking tender care. Tender care even with imperfections. And, and let's just be really honest. It ain't like she's got more imperfections than the dude. He probably got more. Like I know the Lord doesn't see it that way. Sin is sin is sin. But like the, the imperfections, you got to think gospel first. Think of all the imperfections that we have as those following Christ. Many imperfections. But in Christ, I'm a new creation, the scriptures say. And that he's conforming me into the image of Jesus Christ. It's called sanctification in the scriptures. So, so like, like, am I purified or is it happening? The answer is both. That I'm set apart, I'm righteous in Christ, but he's finishing that work that he started in me. And, and there's these imperfections that I have that God's so gentle to deal with. He's so careful to deal with. And husbands are to nourish and cherish their wives that way. So my dad is a horticulturist. And where I grew up, I grew up on the plains of New Mexico. They're probably similar to the high plains in Oregon because the elevation's probably around 2,000 feet and they're moving aggressively towards the Rocky Mountains, or at least the start of the Rocky Mountains before they get up into Colorado and then all the way up where the real Rocky Mountains are way up north here. That was supposed to be a joke. Um, you didn't catch it at all. But it's desert. It's plains where I grew up. And so my dad being a horticulturist, like, like he, he, he loves the thought of me being in Oregon. He's asking me about the trees here. 
Because the climate in Oregon, he says, is one of the best to grow any and all things. It's just things just grow really well here. The soil and the moisture and, and the, the amount of humidity and all those things that factor in, the things that you and I aren't even thinking about, that's what he dreams about, okay? Well, where we grew up, there was none of that beautiful environment to grow plants in. So they built these massive greenhouses to create an environment. And I just have awesome memories of this farm that we lived on. Because you go in these greenhouses, there'll be little baby frogs everywhere. I was just like, and that, I would just hang out in those greenhouses. But I mean, it would, I mean, it gets real hot where I'm from. Like it'd be hundred degrees, the wind would be blowing and you're just like getting pelted with sand. And then you would walk into the greenhouse and all of a sudden this wonderful, calm environment just consumed you. The picture of nourish and cherish is that the husband has, has fostered such a culture of gospel love in his home that the violence of the culture, the violence of the world, the wife gets to come out of that mess and into this safe, nourishing love from Christ through her husband. Isn't that, isn't that awesome? And, and you know why that's so awesome? Because that's how Christ loves us. I don't know about you, but the last two years have broken my heart for the church to see all the division. I mean, many of, I mean, I've got, I can tell you about six or seven pastor friends that have left the ministry because of the absurdness that they had to endure at the hands of people in the community and people in the and then people in the church wounding one another. It's supposed to be united in Christ, connection, and yet you'd think we always hated each other at times. Like it's been so burdening to my heart. And yet I've been reminded of our deep need for the gospel in this season. Because the chaos of the world, it's like that hot heat that I grew up in. And then to be brought into the beauties of Christ, into this beautiful, nourishing environment of the gospel that quiets the loudness. I love the prayer that your pastor prayed in the light of Ukraine. My first scroll this morning on my phone was, is nuclear attack about to happen? And I'm like, oh, please, no, Lord. That's the chaos of the world. And the gospel draws us in that beautiful, nourishing, and cherishing environment that is the love of Christ for us. So we're simply loving from the love that we've received from Christ. Christ's care is far greater than any love a husband could show his wife or a wife could show her husband, but his love informs how we nourish and cherish one another. So this is a shadow of gratitude of Christ's love in response to his nourishing care that he has perfectly shown us. Because Jesus tender even for his church with all her imperfections. And then you see the picture of one flesh in verse 31. And in verse 31, it has to be It's expounding. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall be flesh. The wonderful picture here is doing a couple things that Paul's actually drawing off of Genesis 24. If you want to read God's intended design from the mouth of God himself, Genesis 2.24, that section there is God's um, defining of biblical marriage. Okay, And one of the things that Paul is referencing from Genesis 2.24, two becoming flesh that God talks about in Genesis, but it's building off of what we see in verse 30. Verse 30, because we are members of his body. This is covenantal love. Remember the vendor 
consumer relationship. I'm just so grateful the Lord doesn't deal with us that way because he'd have fired us a long time ago. He'd have fired us and moved on because we are a rebellious people. And if that offends you, man, I'm a counselor, so I do have some jaded counselor tendencies. But man, you've seen people, you've seen what Man, we'd we cut the head off our friend to save ourselves with push comes to shove. I'd have been done with me a long time ago, but, but, but that's not God's love. His, his love is a is a, is a, a, a and his, his covenant that he made back with Abraham that points to the story of redemption in the scriptures. The Bible isn't 66 books. It's one story of redemption that emanates in the person and work of Jesus Christ. It was always about Jesus. It was always about Christ. And that's what Paul is speaking to. The two becoming one great shadow of God's covenantal love with his people. It's fully expressed in Christ Jesus. It does two things. It's showing that this precedent that the marriage relationship should take over all other relationships. And I said this yesterday. Husbands and wives, there is no other relationship on earth that is more important other than that your relationship with Jesus Christ than your spouse. No, no other relationship. Like your friends, your besties, I mean, they need to take a step back. Your kids need to take a step back. Like no other relationship is more important. That's what Paul is saying because that's the heart of the Lord. And then this two becoming one, they don't use their distinct characteristics. This, this amazed me when I really unpacked this. So like, like Sundays um, after we would go to this pizza place and kind of like the church would empty out and we would all go eat at this um, pizza place called Mr. Gaddy's um, and a buffet and they had the fountain drinks and my parents rarely let us Cokes, fountain drinks. We, we call everything in Texas a Coke, okay? Everything's a Coke. Y'all call it a pop? I'm not real sure what you call it up here, but everything's a Coke even if you get the orange drink. It's still a Coke. I don't know why we do that, but we would go to the fountain machine and, and we called it like if you got a little bit of everything, we called it a suicide that too what did y'all call that okay all right that's sweet well we just get a little bit of everything and in getting a little bit of everything they would all lose their distinctness because it tasted like something different altogether and it honestly tasted like garbage (laughs) and then you poured it out and you got the coke right this isn't that the 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 woman's distinct characteristics that god made her fearfully and wonderfully made in the gentleness and the tender, tenderness that she is. Oh, my wife with my kids, master, because of how God's wired made her as a mother. Oh, and the way she backfills, backfills my dullness. <laughs> it's amazing. And, 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 and the Lord, her together, she didn't lose her distinctness. And, and the, the distinctness that the man has, they don't lose them. But, but the two becoming one, they, they, they're merged together without losing their distinctness. This will nerve me a bit, um, but I, I've, over the last couple of years, gotten really into those and reading about blacksmithing and forging metal. Um, there's a process, I'm no expert in this. I've watched a number of videos and read some stuff on this, but it's called Damascus Steel. And, and what, what these blacksmiths will do is they'll take different types of iron, which have distinct criteria. It just looks like to us, but these different forms of iron are very different and do very different things. They have different hardness. They have different functions. They use certain iron for certain types of tool. Sure of that hardness, and what they'll do, they'll, they'll take they'll take pieces of them, square pieces, and they'll weld them together, and they make a billet. 
to bill it in the furnace and then it gets, it gets orange hot. It gets red hot. And then they take their hammer with the and smash it and they smash it and they work it. They put it back in the forge and then they take it back to the anvil and they smash it and they smash it and they turn it into this tool. Some type of blade or some type of tool. And in the Damascus process, once it cools and, and they shave all of the impurities off of the metal, then they'll put it in, a, in, a, in, a, in an etch. It's, it's, a, it's a, some type of acid. They put it in the etch and then you see the different layers of the different metals. But it's one tool. That's a picture of the two becoming one. The wife, the woman doesn't lose the beautiful distinctness that she is having been by the Lord, but neither does the husband. But then the Lord does something profound to bring them together, together to backfill the ways that he didn't make the other one in such a beautiful way that you see this, 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 this beautiful merging of their souls, this mingling of their souls happening. That's why it's not about compatibility or chemistry. It's about the Lord's mingling. And that leads us to the mystery. And I'm just going to read through several, several things here. A couple of uh, from some other, these are just points that we've been here. And it really summarizes what verses 32 through 33 speak to. And then the, here's the mystery of marriage. That the mystery of marriage, it's, it's a physical picture to reflect a deeper spiritual reality. And so marriage is the visible, physical, temporal covenant that pictures and embodies and points to the eternal covenant between Christ and the church. And I find such hope in this in marriage. Because if you're, if you're in marriage right now and, and your marriage is struggling or you want more for your marriage, here's the beautiful hope. You're not at the mercy of trying harder or your spouse getting back together. I know it feels like it. I know it feels like it because it feels like the marriage goes where this person does. But the hope that influences you more than what isn't happening is the love from God to us that informs how we love and see others, the horizontal, especially the marriage. So the gospel has to be this underlying energy and motive for how we pursue our roles in marriage. Who? Because Christ does for us. We love. We seek to grow because we'll never bottom of the depth of Christ's love for that. You know you'll never tap that out? Do you know that? That you can think on and fix your mind on the love of Christ till eternity and you'll never get to the bottom of that reservoir. That we seek to grow our love for our spouse because his love knows no bounds for us. History unfolded. Um, these points come from a resource called Catching Foxes. By a, by a friend of mine named John Henderson. And I'm just going to read the way he writes it. He says this. The husband and the wife covenant together. They, they covenant together to relinquish all other lovers. Just as Christ has poured out his love for the church. Calling her away from all other lovers. And the husband commits his life in all to the nurture and care of his wife. Just as Christ gave his life for the care and redemption of his church. And the father of the bride gives his daughter to her husband just as the father gives the church. 
And the husband and wife become one flesh, just as Christ and his bride, the church, are one spirit and invisibly united to Jesus Christ through the filling of the Holy Spirit. And the husband submits himself to the Lord. The wife submits to the husband as unto the Lord. Even more, the son has submitted to the will of the father, to the point of death, even death on a cross. So the gospel fuels our motivation. This is different than anything else in the world can offer. The, the, the idea of marriage in the world can't come close to touching this beautiful, profound mystery of the gospel that, is, that marriage is pointing to. And ultimately, that our roles in marriage, spiritual act of worship as unto the Lord. Again, this is freeing. And it may not feel like it sometimes because if your spouse is struggling, God's call on your life doesn't hinge on their obedience or lack thereof. That, that what he's called you to in your marriage has the opportunity, whether they're doing their part as unto the Lord or not, he's called us to has the opportunity to be a spiritual act of worship in cementing and further entrenching and deepening our vertical hearts with the Lord and the gospel to the world. I'll never forget um, my day. Um, we got married um, in 2005. And the day of the wedding came. So excited. Obviously, it waited my whole life. And, and, and waited in some ways that some people haven't had to wait. Um, I never had a girlfriend leading up to my wife. And um, it wasn't because I was some like awesome spiritual dude who didn't want to date. I really wanted to date. It just never worked out. <laughs> a lot of crushes. A lot of broken hearts on my part. But, but no actual relationship to speak of. And so she was the one. And um, her, her father passed away when she was in high school. So her, one of her brothers walked her down. And I was already in there with my groomsmen. And, and when she got to the back, everybody stood up because it commanded attention. You know who they didn't stand up for? Me. <laughs> you know who they stood up for? Aunt Bride. And it's a picture of Revelation 19. Cleansed because Christ has cleansed her. Commands attention because of the work Christ did to make her beauty beautiful. You know who the bride is? The church. The church. And so like when marriage is hard, because listen, we got hard times in our marriage. When marriage is difficult, like the Lord has brought that image back to me many times to remember how radiant she was and how it commanded such attention, knowing committed to me through Christ Jesus. He's producing that type of radiance in me through his son. He's producing that type of radiance in his church through Jesus. And it commands attention and preaches the hope of Christ to a lost and dying world. I wanted to end the sermon. I wanted show you a video testimony of some friends of mine. Let's watch this video and then I'll close us out in prayer. Well, my name's Kurt and this is Michelle and we're here to tell you our story. I guess the best way to start off is uh, we've been married for about six months now and previously to that separated slash divorce for about a year and a half or two years. We were married and 
think about the 11th year, we, you know, life's just going on, Christ is not really in our lives, and, um, you know, there's a everyday um, temptation, and um, a lot of struggles for me started surfacing. Uh, I was really struggling with identity and uh, trying to who I was and um, whether that was in athletics, whether that was in my job or career. And a lot of the struggles um, started to surface through then and really struggling with um, anger and um, there's a lot of temptation and I wasn't faithful in our covenant in our marriage and um, to Michelle. And I actually think Christ was actually graceful enough to actually allow me to have that or go through that because when I reached that point, or when the things that I wanted and I, I uh, tried to achieve, um, I found no comfort in that whatsoever. I think for me, during that time, I thought that we had a great marriage, and so what God revealed to me was um, my role in in our marriage and um, what that looked like, that um, what that didn't look like. And, um, and it definitely did not look uh, the way that, um, that the Lord had intended for me as a wife. Just that um, he really didn't have my heart and he in order to um, walk me through just the, the devastation of a marriage ending. And it was very similar for me, too. I mean, deep down, and everything I just had a justification for everything. And um, you couldn't convince me that it, my situation was um, special. And, um, and it, I really had some anger and issues deep down. And um, I, I remember the night all day long, Michelle was on my heart. Just like that, God just decided at that moment just to remove the blinders that I was looking through. and first time I realized what I did and um, the anger that I had, all the sleepless nights that Michelle must have had, all the uh, struggles that she must have went through and, and my kids and everything that I had a justification for, I, I, um, I saw the truth. And God, um, after that night, God just continued to put, um, had plans for me and God just continued to set up circumstances and put people in my life and um, there was one point where uh, I reached out to Michelle um, and all I wanted to do was just meet with her and just tell her how sorry I was. That was all I wanted to do and um, that was on my heart and so we met at a park and we ended up at the park um, and I just kind of told her just Kind of for what I realized and um, all the things I felt for the first time, and um, I just spilled that out to her uh, how how sorry I was and um, asked for her forgiveness. God just started to woo us back together and put us back together at particular points. That was all part of God's plan. Um, I couldn't have done that. Um, so this point where we, we started dating again, that was very awkward because it was um find ourselves and many times kind of like this is my ex-wife slash girlfriend but um 
we found ourselves in that point in dating again. And um, one thing I was not real good at before was honoring my wife. And um, I was a lot of times really laid back in our life where she did a lot of the planning. Uh, she took a lot care of a lot of the issues. So um, one thing I wanted to show her and God really revealed to me that I, I am capable of this and I do care and I do honor her. And um, so without her even knowing about it, I planned um, our whole engagement and wedding and she had no clue about it. And um, it was real quick because it was a engagement and a wedding in one day. Um, but basically we, um, when we were dating, we um, joined a home group and we, got real close with our home in gospel community and um, I just felt like God was really laying that on my heart that that's what this is all about and I wanted that home group our home group to be part of that and we just got remarried it was amazing it was very neat to walk in and just have so many people that had walked with us through this and just we're so excited and we're so blessed to start um start over and um, we really realized that that was God's gift to us um, it's not a gift that I would wish on anybody to go through but it's definitely something that I see as just um, a huge gift and a huge blessing that he just um, saw where we were at and knew he didn't want us there um, he brought us out into the light and really took what we had broken and pieced it back together and um you know, we we still have struggles. I mean, we're we're married, and we're you know we're just like everybody else. But it's, it's so different when it's really just pieced together, um, with a good foundation, and that only comes through Christ. So Kurt, um, he he wanted what he wanted. He wanted to chase the things of the world that he felt would bring him a sense of purpose. And he was willing to kick his wife to the curb and his two little boys to the curb to get it in. You know what he found? He found death and destruction. And in that place, the Lord shone through into the darkness and showed him his son. And he broke Kurt wide open. And he saved Kurt. And he changed Kurt's heart. And then as he's working on Kurt, he's working on Michelle and the Lord drawing them to himself through the power of the gospel for one another. This is how far the gospel can reach into our hearts. This is how far the gospel can reach in the hopelessness and the brokenness of the world. Let's pray. Father, we um, thank you for your word. We thank you that you've given us truth to guide us. Where would we be without your guidance? We'd be lost for sure, hopeless. We thank you that you've made a way through Jesus Christ. And Jesus, we thank you for your obedience, your willingness to submit to the will of the Father. And that, that glorious redemption that we now share in that, that adoption, that reconciliation to the creator of our souls, our Father, to be able to be called sons and daughters, to be able to have a hope again, a hope that's unfading, 
a hope that's eternal, a hope that nothing can threaten. Thank you, Jesus. I pray that the gospel would, would, would deepen our souls, that the would, would more inform our obediences and, our, and, and more inform how we engage with would more inform how we our spouses and more inform how our kids. Wherever we are, wherever you have us, Lord, let the gospel reign in our lives. Fix our eyes on Christ. Let our affections be stirred even more. That our abiding would be strengthened in Christ even more. So, Lord, I thank you for these marriages in the room. I thank you for all these individuals. That, that, that marriage is a shadow of the gospel, but, but the gospel's for all who would bend their knee. Not just the husband, not just the wife. That This message about marriage is a message about the gospel, which is um, salvation for all who call on the name of Jesus. So we thank you, Lord. I pray your blessings over these people. I pray you continue to grow them and use them as a powerful light, a city on a hill in this entire community. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.